morning, everybody. I'm Rob, if we haven't met before, and I'm glad you're here. So, I thought of a little Thanksgiving, Christmas, getting into the holiday season poem. Yeah. <laughs> Twas the night of Thanksgiving, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. They were out driving around and waiting at stores, lined up for the moment they'd open their doors. Instead of turkey and stuffing, there'd be stampeding and huffing. Instead of thankfulness for all they'd received, there'd be climbing and grabbing and people just peeved. What happened to our season of peace and of giving? It's hard to make peace in our competition of living. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want to be known as God's kid. I want to be known as a family where people look at us and they say, I see a lot of Jesus in them. And I'll tell you, there are days when I don't think that's ever, ever going to happen. But Jesus has this way for us. He calls it the kingdom way. He calls it the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 5, as we've been going along for the last month or so, we've been talking about these different principles, these different values, and then the eternal benefits that come from living as people who are in this kingdom. And so as the king, as this new king, Jesus is ushering in what he invites us to, this different way of living. And we've talked about poverty or poor in spirit. We have talked about purity or pure of heart. And now we look at this one called peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And, and we've asked all along, what are we building our life on? And is what we're building our life on giving us the results that, that God really wants for each of us? So keep that in the back of your mind as we look at this idea of peacemakers. When Jesus lifts up this value of peacemaker, he's lifting up this value of those who work for peace. And remember, Jesus hears would have heard this in a time where reciprocity Freedom and individual rights were the, were the kingdom values in, in Rome. Pax Romana had just come on the scene where there was peace as long as you got along with Rome. But an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was something that they all believed, and they actually had their religious laws that would go along these lines. Not only that, they would, they would come under this understanding of if someone hits you, you should hit them back. And if someone steals from you, then you should take something from them. And if, if I could summarize their golden rule, it might be treat others like they have treated you. Or at least that's what my kids seem to tell me in my house. <laughs> but I'm treating them just like they treated me. But so often we do that. The kingdom of the world lifts up individual rights, but they say if you want freedom, you've got to compete for it or fight for it. If you want to have your rights, then you better be assertive and take them. That world and our world look a lot alike. And I can understand why it is so easy for us to settle for being peacekeepers. See, peacekeepers are people that avoid conflict to keep the peace. Peacekeepers prefer to work around issues instead of working through them. Peacekeepers are kind of people who end up at this place of, gosh, we've been fighting and fighting and fighting. I'm just sick of fighting. Can we just call a truce? And they say yes, as long as that means 
but we're never going to talk about it again. And so then we get together at family dinners or extended family time, and we smile and we act like everything's okay, and, and that there's all this tension behind the scenes, but we're just going to pretend like everything's fine and, and, and we'll be okay and we're everything. And then all of a sudden somebody says something and... <laughs> This huge thing falls out on the table and and it just gets messy. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker is someone who says, I'm going to embrace conflict to bring peace. I'm not going to work around an issue. I'm going to work through an issue. A peacemaker might be defined like this, someone who reconciles or restores peace between people. A peacemaker has been called a mediator. And in the Bible, in in this book of Timothy, it says there's one mediator between God and people, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes on the scene and makes a way of peace for us. In fact, one of his all-out followers, Paul, writes in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. He writes, for God, just a second. For God made in all his fullness, God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And to live through him, and through him, God reconciles everything to himself. God made peace through Christ in heaven, everything in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So he uses this kind of poetry that would have, that would have happened for the Hebrews of this, I'm going to say it one way, and then I'm going to say it the exact same way right afterwards. So through Christ, God reconciles everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. He's using reconciled and making peace in the same way. And Jesus does that. He makes this way of peace for us with God. Jesus removes the obstacles so that we can approach him. He doesn't stack our sins against us. He, he, he instead gives us this clean slate. He wipes them away so that we can stand before the Father and see God. And then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say that we must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. We're not to drift away from it or drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. Okay, think about the amazing statement that that Paul makes this first time to these new believers in this city where they're trying to figure out, just like us, what it means to follow the way of Jesus. What does it mean in Rome? What does it mean in Pax Romana? What does it mean where there's some Jewish people and some Christian people and then all these people that are in Rome that just want to have peace, but really that just means the absence of war and will do whatever it takes to fight for it. What does it mean to actually make peace in that? That's what those people in this city where Paul writes this letter to were trying to figure out. And he says that God reconciled everything to himself through Christ. He made peace in everything in heaven and earth. But then he says, but you must continue to believe this truth. You must continue to stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from that assurance. Here's what the assurance wasn't. It wasn't this idea that, does God accept me or does he not accept me? Does he, does he love me or does he not love me? It wasn't this conditional acceptance. No, when we say yes to Jesus, we have eternal life with God. Because of who Jesus is, 
because of what he's done. But it is tremendously easy to drift away from that, to forget that, to think that we're not worthy because of what we've done, or to think that we do have this stack of things that God really just keeps behind his back. And, and when we get into a conflict with someone else, sometimes we take out our stack of things. Oh yeah, well what about this and this and this? We put that on God. And when we come to him and there's this conflict in our hearts, we think that God's going to whip out the list. And so it's so easy to drift away. And that's why we've got to remember the difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. If we don't want to drift away, if we want to remember our assurance and who God is, we say, yes, I will be a peacemaker. So what does that look like? How does that work? Well, fortunately, Jesus tells us about it. So if you go to Matthew 5, if you have your Bible, you might want to take notes either in it or alongside your worship folder there. In verse 9, Jesus is giving us these beatitudes or these values. He comes to, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. But then in the remaining verses after this, next week we'll look at, ooh, the last one, one of my favorites, blessed are the persecuted. So we'll get to talk about what it means to do that. But then after that point, he kind of extrapolates or he explains further what these values mean and how they impact people. So if you look down at verse 21, we see Jesus give an interesting statement here. He says this, You've heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is angry answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. This is, this is good stuff, okay? So peacemakers are people that confront core issues. If you're a note taker, you want to, if you're like, how do I not drift away? Confront the core issue. Because see, that's what Jesus is doing here. So I know we live in the Midwest, or most people that are listening here live in the Midwest. And so just imagine it's a Friday night. And it's a Friday night, not only that, you've got out of work early, like just before five, you get to jump in your car, it warms up quickly. Traffic, people have finally learned how to drive in the snow. And so you're actually able to drive um, almost home, unless you're gonna go over to a friend's house because you've got this night out with friends planned. And so you park outside their, their place and you walk in the entryway. Three of your friends are there. They're ready to go and we're just waiting for one other friend. So you, you jump in and you're like, all right. And all of a sudden someone drops the atomic passive question. So where do you guys want to go out to eat? Oh, you know, I, 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 it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I could eat anything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in the mood for maybe Mexican or, or Italian or Chinese or, you know, I could probably eat Japanese or German or American, maybe even seafood. And then the fourth person's like, yeah, maybe not Japanese and, and maybe not German and definitely not seafood, but I don't have any other suggestions. So I'll just shoot down all of yours. And so, you know, okay, well, let's wait until so-and-so gets here. So, so yeah, let's wait until they get here. Okay, yeah, let's do that. And so then fourth, fifth friend drives up and, and gets out of the car. No, 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 leave your car and we're going to ride with you. Oh, okay. So the, everybody piles in the car. All right, where are we going? Where, where to? Um, anywhere. 
Oh, let's go downtown. Yeah, I'm hungry. I could eat Mexican or Chinese or American, or I could eat all of those. I can't find my seatbelt. You know, the, the guy who just can't seem to add, you know, helpful contribution. And the fifth guy finally says, wait, you haven't decided where we're going? I mean, the only thing worse than sitting in the car for 30 minutes trying to figure out where to go is someone to say, no, let's actually start driving and try and figure it out, right? I mean, this is like the epitome of peacekeeper versus peacemaker. See, peacekeepers think if we just ignore the issue long enough, it'll go away. I mean, some people grew up in families where, where you thought you could pretend an issue away and it would just disappear. Some of you have bosses that like to ignore issues. And, and what kind of work environment is produced when your manager or your boss ignores an issue? Right? It feels a little bit like, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq, not to diss the military, but it's, it feels like a landmine. Everybody knows there's something, but not everyone knows what it is because not everybody's in the know. So things just become tense and people feel like they're walking through landmines because, because again, not everyone knows the issues, but they know something's up. So they kind of walk and, and people are just kind of waiting for that explosion. It's sort of like a video game, like boom, up. Oh, okay. Guess I won't do that again. And, and that's the environment when someone ignores issues. When a leader or a parent or a boss says, I'll be a peacekeeper. Because peacekeepers fear conflict. Peacemakers know, I've got to confront the core issues. And that's what Jesus so boldly but humbly does here. When he goes to murder and says that you've heard it said this way, and yes, the person who murders, who intentionally ends someone's life, has to stand before another group of people and they will make a decision of guilt or innocence. And if it's guilty, they will face the consequences. They'll be subject to judgment. But Jesus says when we're angry with someone, like when we have the thoughts or the feelings of fury or being upset or, or just being mad, that we're subject to the exact same judgment. All the words are the same. And then further, Jesus says, you know, if we tease someone, this one's a little bit hard for me to hear. This week, I really wrestled with this. I'm like, no, 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 it can't mean that. Raka can't mean what it does, but I was wrong. So it's this Aramaic term that means empty head. That's what Raka means. And, and basically what, what someone's doing in that is they're mildly insulting or moderately insulting their, their intelligence level or their very low intelligence level. So, so now, think about this. So Jesus has just taken the action of murder, the feelings of being angry, and the words of calling someone an idiot or moron, that's where this word comes from, morose, someone who doesn't have any good sense, He's basically put them all in the same category. And not only that, the judgments have gotten stronger in his argument. So going from just subject to judgment for the action of murder, he then says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not only going to be subject to judgment, but if you, if you think this, you are going to be subject to the Supreme Court. 
That's the highest religious and civil court that the Jews had. And not only that, if you call someone an idiot or a moron or you say that they lack good sense, you're going to have spiritual, physical, eternal consequences. That's core issue. When he talks about the fires of hell, that's what he's talking about. So in Jesus' kingdom, what he's saying is it matters just as much what we do with what we think and what we say. He says they're all related. And we talked last week about purity coming from the inside out. And so this writer Luke says it this way, a good man brings good things stored up out of the good of his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the core issue. When Jesus confronts the core issue of murder, anger, and insult, in his mind, it's all the same. A lack of interest in making peace with each other. It's not just the absence of war, the absence of conflict. It's this lack of wanting peace in the other person's life, this wholeness, this prosperity, this shalom. It's being able to look at someone with love and say, I want God's best for you. Peacemakers see the connection between what we think of someone and what we say to them and how we act to them. So peacemakers love people enough to work through the issues. They say things like this. When you don't listen to me, I feel like you don't value me. Okay, that's a, that's a statement. It's clear. This is how I feel when you do this. Okay? Or when you lie to me about something really small, I find it very difficult to trust you. Calling it like it is. Confronting the core issue. Or, when you check your phone at dinner, the rest of us feel devalued. Okay? Again, it's stating what it is. It's stating the core issue. It's not helpful, although sometimes funny, to say things like, you know, if you check that phone again, I'm just going to call you an idiot. Okay? That's lame. That's not attacking the issue. That's attacking the person. And that's what peacekeepers do. They like to ignore the problem or just attack people. But peacemakers do not ignore the problem. They do not attack people. Peacemakers confront the core issue. But the other thing that peacemakers do really well is they accept responsibility for their thoughts and their words and their actions. I've said this before. Family, they're great. They put the fun in dysfunction. See, family, sometimes we don't do this. I mean, how many of you would say that that yes, I know my family has some weirdos. Go ahead, it's okay. Now, now look around quick, because everybody who didn't put their hand up just realized they're the weirdo. They're the one who's dysfunctional. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. But if you're like most people I talk to, they would say, the dysfunction is not my fault. But peacemakers accept responsibility for their part, their words, their actions. Jesus says it like this when he goes on. He, after he just talks about murder being linked to, to what we think about someone or what we say to someone, he says this. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar 
worshiping God. And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. If someone has something against you, if you remember that someone has something against you, you go. Romans 12 says it like this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if you're thinking right now like, gosh, I really hope so-and-so is listening to this because God just needs to work on them, then you missed it. You go. As far as it depends on who? You. Me. Us. If I'm the one who who was wronged, no, if I'm the one who wronged, they have something against me, then I go and apologize for my wrong. This means I've got to admit specific actions, and this one was really hard for me to learn, without excuses. That's what it means to accept responsibility. We admit to specific, ex- ex- uh, specific actions. We say, here's what I did, and it was wrong. And we stop. We say, hey, I was home late, and I didn't call. And that made you worry. I'm sorry. We don't say, I'm sorry I threw the plastic cup at you, but you said my idea was dumb, so that's why I did it. If you wouldn't have said it was dumb, I wouldn't have reacted. That's lame. That's not, that's not accepting responsibility. Or, you know, I've heard this one before. I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. I just didn't know men were that sensitive. That's not, I'm not trying to take, make it about my thing, but that's not helpful. What is helpful is to say, I'm sorry I belittled you in front of your friends. I was wrong. I have no excuse for that. Or, I'm sorry I didn't consider what your opinion was when I raised my voice and shouted over it. That was wrong. Now, sometimes we need to say, I'm sorry. But sometimes we need to say, will you forgive me? See, we say, I'm sorry, when we have remorse, when we feel bad about something. But sometimes that can mean, well, I'm sorry I got caught. Sometimes that can mean, like, I'm sorry we're having a hard time. Or I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. That's, that's remorse. I feel bad that. But it's different to say, I sinned. Will you forgive me? We say sorry when we make mistakes. We say, will you forgive me when we sin against someone? We say sorry for, I'm sorry, I, I left the toilet seat up. Or, I'm sorry, I didn't turn the coffee pot off. But we say, will you forgive me for deception? We say, will you forgive me for talking behind your back? Will you forgive me for taking that piece of you and sharing that with somebody else. I mean, think about this. What do you think our relationships would be like? And it says, Jesus says, brother or sister. 
He's talking about believers in the church, people who've said yes to Jesus, who are trying to live as peacemakers. He says, that's who he's talking to right now. What do you think it would be like if, if we who say yes to Jesus, when we sinned, we could go to somebody and we could confess and we could ask for forgiveness and we could pray with somebody where they would see us as human, as people that make mistakes, as people that sin, but know that God forgives sin, and so they just face us in that way. I'm sorry. This is what I did that was wrong. Will you forgive me? Can we pray? Can you imagine how different our relationships would be if we were able to do this? If we didn't have a fear of doing this? If we knew that God was going to resolve things in the end so we could pray, we could let God be God in those situations, we could let his forgiveness wash over those things. I believe there would be healing. I believe people would run to the church. I think we would look a lot like Jesus. Now you guys, if you know me, you know I have three kids. They look a bit like me. Praise God, they look a lot more like my wife. But when we make peace, when we confess, when we do everything we can to, to fight for our relationships in the best way, to live at peace with everyone, as Roman says, then guess what? Who, guess who we look like? Jesus. Who was called the Son of God. We look like God's kids. People see the kingdom when we do this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, but it's really hard to do that, or you don't understand what someone's done to me. Well, we got to go back to these verses because Jesus isn't done with what he wants to teach us in them. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled. Then, come back and offer your gift. Making peace comes before the worship of God, the one who's worthy of all our worship, the one who is truth, the one who is light, the one who is love. He says, no, stop. It's more important for you to reconcile with others than to worship me now. This comes before us. So, a couple, several years ago, I, I watched an acquaintance who didn't live too far from me. He, he was on a powerlifting team for Jesus. I'm not sure if any of you have seen these people, but, but they're men. They're usually men. I've only seen men so far. Uh, and they have arms thicker than my thighs, and I realize that I'm kind of thin. But they have necks thicker than my waist, and they would lift and crush and throw things for Jesus. And so he would travel around the country and, and lift and crush and throw things for Jesus and invite people to know Jesus. But then he would come home and we would watch him throw things at his kids, yell at his neighbors, and shout at his wife. And sure, people saw him lift a Mini Cooper, but people who were investigating Christianity people who really wanted to see if this kingdom of Jesus thing was real, they didn't see that. They saw a man who couldn't lift the name of Jesus up, who couldn't lift the Prince of Peace, 
somehow his knowledge of Jesus or his worship of Jesus had no effect on his relationships with others and ultimately himself. See, I think making peace with others comes before the worship of God because God knows that if we're carrying a grudge, that's how, that's how the message uh, translation of the Bible says this. If you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, and go to this friend and make things right. I think the reason that, that God wants us to put this before worshiping him is he knows that if we're carrying a grudge, or if he knows that we've caused a grudge, then while we could still sing to him, while we could still come to worship services, there would be this barrier in our true worship of God. But thanks be to Jesus. I mean, truly, it says, while we were yet God's enemy, while we were still fighting God, Jesus came and died for us and rose again and conquered sin. And now he has removed the barrier. He's restored a way for us to have peace with him. See, working for peace isn't just about conflicts. It's not just to remove the fighting. It's to see everyone find peace with God. And when we say we're going to work for peace, it means we'll do anything and everything to make that happen. Now, I want to pray in a few minutes, but I want you to know that, that there's an opportunity for healing here. There's an opportunity for forgiveness here. There's an opportunity for you and I to have peace in all our relationships. And so I know that there's pieces, there's things, there's hurts there's betrayals, there's trust issues. I'm not saying that all those things are going to be worked out in this moment, but I know that God can wipe away the hurts and he can wash away the sins and he can make the slave clean because that's what his blood does. But we've got to start with this idea that says, yes, I will be a peacemaker. Yes, I will be someone who by God's power and for his glory, I will make a way, not just for the absence of fighting or the absence of bad, but fighting and working, striving for that highest good, that shalom that Jesus talks about, the peace and the prosperity and the wholeness. And if you want that, you just have to say, Jesus, make me a peacemaker. But some of you have hurts. You've got brokenness. You know betrayal. But Jesus made a way. Jesus wipes it clean. He doesn't, he doesn't devalue those things. He doesn't say those things, oh, they don't really matter. I'll just pretend they're not there. No, he lifts them up. He carries every hurt, every sin, every betrayal on that cross. And he walks to the place of death, to the place away from us. He carries them away and he crucifies them and he cleans, cleanses us. And when he does that, we can be clean. We were far from him, and now we're close to him. And now it gives us the courage to remember that we're free from people accusing us, because we don't stand in our old life. We stand in the new life of Jesus. And when we're free of accusation, when we don't have to walk around wondering if there's guilt or shame, then we can walk into this peace. We can be these peacemakers, but we've got to have courage. For some of us, it means that 
that we've been victims and we just got to walk to Jesus and let him take those things that we've been holding. If we've been, if we've been attackers, we've got to walk to Jesus and know that he made a way for us to have peace. That he forgives the enemy as much as he forgives the victim. And he reconciles us. And so we have to look at what are we willing to give up so that we can make peace. Because it's not over with that. We need to do everything and anything possible to make a way of peace. Jesus says it like this after he gives his, his kingdom values in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither who people, do people who light a lamp put it under a bowl. No, instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is everything possible. This is letting the light shine. This is how we make peace. It's people like Pam and Steve Oslos who were with us before they moved to Brainerd and wanted to be farther north. But before that point, they said yes to taking 15 minutes a day, three days a week to drive a little girl to school because her mom had to go to work and it was just the two of them. And they said, yes, I'll do that. I'll make a way for that. The light shined and peace was made. It's, it happens every Sunday when we do the food on the first each month. I guess that's not every Sunday. I guess that's once a month. When we bring this food and it goes into this food locker at Westview and kids don't have to worry if they can go home from school and there will be food or not. They get a few things from the social worker who just shoves them in a backpack. Nobody sees it and it makes peace and light shines. Every other week, when we have this ministry center, if we didn't have this ministry center, we couldn't do this mobile pantry, this bus that literally drives in behind our, our, our ministry center, this place a mile away, and, and people get to come through that can't afford fresh food. Because when they go to food shelves, it's so easy to get just the package-preserved stuff. But they can pick from fresh produce, and they make a way for peace, and the light shines. We couldn't do that if we didn't have that ministry center. But it's further than that. It's the mom who hears this three or four-year-old girl at gymnastics isn't going to be able to attend anymore because her brother has a tumor around his neck. And as much as this little girl acts out, as much as this mom knows, if she didn't come, my daughter would get more instruction. She would have a better time at gymnastics. But as much as that is, this mom says, I'm going to pay for this girl to get to go to gymnastics. Light shines. It's making peace. It's my friends Chad and Rebecca who pray for this family because their son is friends with this little boy because they've known them for a long time. And, and they are helping them praise God that two months ago a football injury led to an x-ray and an MRI that showed the cancer. That they might just have found it soon enough to, to get to heal this little boy it's shining light. It's making peace. It's their son Wiley in our student group right outside who's at a Bible study at school and says, you know, our friend, David, he, he loves football. I want to I have a flag football fundraiser for him. 
I want to see how we can do that. Will you guys help me do that? That shining light, that's making peace. The light shines out of the darkness, Jesus says. Now you might find that there is no peace in your life or that the world is getting darker. And let me tell you, Jesus just keeps on reminding me that that just means that our light gets to look brighter. We've got to have the courage to say yes to making peace because the world needs it. We can't have hope if we don't have peace. And we can't have hope or peace without the truth and the love of Jesus. What does it mean for you and me to make peace? We have an opportunity every Sunday in the prayer cove to receive healing, to receive peace with God. Every time you do that, light shines and peace is made. Every time you walk across and go over here and you meet somebody new and learn their name, light shines, peace is made. God is glorified. Let's pray. God, we want to be peacemakers. And we need your power if it's going to be for your glory. But God, we pray that, that in your presence right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would bring healing where there's been hurt. God, I pray that you'd give us the power to do everything possible to live at peace. And we know that there are obstacles in our own hearts. I believe there are obstacles in our, there our own hearts because there was in mine this week just in preparing this. And I imagine, God, that, that people can remember right now that your Holy Spirit is going to bring up barriers. It's going to bring up grudges. It's going to bring up victim and attacker alike. And we need you to shine through that, God. We need you to understand. We, we need your courage, God. We need your courage to reach out, even to someone who hasn't been receptive in the past. God, we need your courage to confess sins to each other, to pray for each other. God, to find forgiveness and healing. God, we need to see the fact that you did everything for us, even when we had our backs to you. God, would you give us the picture of what it means to make peace in our hearts, in our families, in our cities, in our world. With you, with each other, by your power, for your glory.